I read a story this week about an incident that occurred at the end of World War II where an American submarine came back to Newport News, Virginia to dock and something went terribly wrong in the harbor. Immediately the Coast Guard was dispatched to rescue the crew and as divers neared the hull of the ship they heard this tapping sound and they immediately recognized it as Morse code. One of the trapped sailors was sending this message. Is there any hope? In a way, that's the essential question of the human race, isn't it? Is there any hope? And that question is asked in thousands of ways by thousands of people. So who needs hope? Well, the teenager who feels lonely and confused and wonders where her life is headed. The woman who's tried again and again to break free from her anxiety but continues to lose the battle. The soldier who is far from home and has serious doubts about the cause he's fighting for. The patient who reads the doctor's eyes as he begins to share the test results. Who needs hope? The man who struggles with temptation but finds himself staring at his computer again in the middle of the night. The parent who sees their child drifting further and further from God and the truth they tried to teach them. The dad who worries about losing his job and how he's going to take care of his family without an income. Who needs hope? We know the answer, don't we? We all need God's hope. Today we're continuing our series called This Is Us, and we're going through the New Testament book of Ephesians, which is really God's goals for the church, and one of God's primary goals is this, that we be a people who live with hope, and who share that hope with everyone we possibly can. So today as we look at this passage in Ephesians, there are three questions that I want to answer, and here's the first. What is hope? Secondly, why should a Christian always live with hope? And thirdly, what difference does it make when you actually have a heart that is filled with hope? So that's where we're headed this morning, and I want us to do this. I want us to begin in chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 15. And again, this letter was written by Paul, a follower of Jesus in the first century, to other followers of Jesus in the city of Ephesus. And this is what he says in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And again, a saint is just a true follower of Christ. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And now Paul's going to get real specific and he's going to tell people how he's been praying for them. He continues in verse 17 and he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And church, this is something I pray for you all the time, that God would help you get to know him better and better because I know that the better you know God, the more you're able to trust him. And then Paul says this, in the next verse, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now this is so clear. God has called us to live with hope. But what is hope? As we began the service, I talked about how we often use the word hope. You know, I hope uh, I don't get the flu. I hope my baby sleeps through the night. Um, th there's all these ways that we use the word hope. But it really is not much more than wishful thinking. However, in the scripture, the word hope is used in an entirely different way. And here's the verse that I quoted earlier today from Psalm 119. You, God, are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope where? In your word. Our hope is in God. 
Our hope is that God will always keep his word. And so here is a working definition of hope, and it's on your outline. Hope is the confident expectation that God will do what he has promised. That's what hope really is. It's this confident expectation that God will keep his word, that God will do what he's promised. Now, here's the next question. Well, okay, why should a Christian always have hope? Well, here in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is saying that you have been called to a life of hope. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open so that you can see the hope of your calling. And church, this is really important. The call to follow Jesus is a call to live with hope. Now think about that. The call to follow Jesus Christ is a call to live with hope because when Jesus called people to follow him, they had to make a choice. When, when Jesus comes up to Peter and Andrew and says, hey, leave your fishing nets, follow me, they do. When he says to Matthew, the tax collector, come and follow me, he leaves his old life behind and he follows Jesus. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because Jesus has called you to follow him and the call to follow Jesus is a call to live with what? It's a call to live with hope. Now, here's something that I think is so important, and this is on your outline. Your calling gives you hope because as a member of God's family, you have inherited God's what? Yeah, can we say that together? We've inherited God's what? God's promises. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had somebody break a promise to you? Has that ever happened to you? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. How many of you have ever broken a promise that you made to somebody else? When we experience one broken promise after another, it is easy to start losing hope. And yet the scripture says there's somebody who always keeps his promises. Who's that? It's God. He is the ultimate promise keeper. And when you're adopted into God's family, when you decide to follow Jesus Christ, you have inherited all of the promises of God. Now that's a remarkable thing. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul draws this stark contrast between those who have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, those who are in God's family, and those who are not. And he says this to the believers there. This is in chapter 2. He says, remember that at that time, before you became a believer, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the what? Of the promise. And notice this phrase, without hope and without God in this world. Now, that is such a stark distinction, isn't it? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you now have hope and you have God and you're connected to God's promises because you're God's son or God's daughter. And, and church, there are so many promises in this book from God to us, his children. God says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will guide you. I will comfort you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And when we look at the promises of God, it's important to realize this. Some of these promises are unconditional. You know, for example, God says, I'm going to love you then that's not based on what you do to earn God's love. We don't deserve God's love. There's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. That's an unconditional promise. But other promises are conditional. We have to do something in order for God to fulfill his promise. For example, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So we have to do something to experience the promise of God. How about this? How many of you need wisdom? We all do, and there's a promise of wisdom, but it's a conditional promise. It says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask God, but how are we supposed to ask? We're supposed to ask in faith, actually believing that God will give us the wisdom we're asking for. So we see that there are these incredible promises that God has given us, and because we've inherited these promises, we can live with what? We can live with hope. 
Now here's another reason that our calling gives us hope. Your calling gives you hope because God is always at work in your life. God is always at work in the lives of his children. This is a story that I've shared um, in the past, but I really um, like the point of the story. It's about this king in Africa, and he has a childhood friend. They've grown up their entire lives, and his friend is this eternal optimist. Whenever something happens, his friend says three words, this is good. And so they go on this hunting expedition, and um, so the, the friend is handing these loaded rifles to the king and something goes wrong and the king pulls the trigger and there's an explosion and it blows off his thumb and he's in all this pain and agony his friend looks at him and says this is good and the king goes ballistic he goes you idiot this is not good this is terrible and he was so angry he threw his friend in jail well a year later the king goes on another hunting expedition and he should have known better because he was entering this territory where there were cannibals and they captured him, and they've got him tied up, and they've got a big pot of water boiling. They're going to eat him for dinner, and they look him over, and they discover that he's missing his thumb. And because they were superstitious, they wouldn't eat anybody that didn't have all their body parts, so they release this guy, and he's walking home, and he's thinking about how his thumb got blown off and about his friend, and he starts feeling really bad. So he goes to the prison, and he talks to his friend, and he says, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, for what I did that I threw you in prison. Um, what I did was bad. And his friend looks at him and says, no, this is good. And he says, how can this be good that I threw my best friend in prison? He says, well, if I had been with you when you met the cannibals. <laughs> Here's the thing. God is able to take the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it is, and use it for our good and for his glory because he is always, always at work in our lives. And here's the verse that reminds us of that Romans 8:28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. You see that call is a call not only of purpose but it's a call to hope because God's at work. And church family, I know this. I know that you know, some of us um, some of us are prone to discouragement. And often that discouragement can lead us to depression. And there are people we love that have that, that same kind of, of tendency in their lives. They're, they're prone to discouragement and even depression. And sometimes that runs in families. And certainly depression is, is a very complicated issue and far beyond the scope of this, this message this morning. But I do want to say this. When you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is always reason for hope. Always. Why? Because God's always at work. Because God is the sovereign sentinel who stands guard at the gate of your life and only allows in that which he can use for your good and for his glory. And as we believe that, really believe it, we can live with hope. Now here's one more reason that a Christian should live with hope, and it's simply this. Your calling gives you hope because no matter how hard life may be today, you can be sure of a better what? A better tomorrow. A much, much better tomorrow. Um, I read a story this week about this retired a musician who enjoyed going to adult living facilities and he would take his keyboard with him and he would sing songs and tell funny jokes just to entertain the people there. And uh, one weekend he was leaving this um, adult living facility and he said to everybody as he left, hey, I hope you all all get better. And this one man said, and we hope you get better too. <laughs> you know, deep inside our hearts is this desire to get better 
There's this desire for things to be better. Now, why should we believe that? Why should we believe that there's a better tomorrow ahead? Well, because God says so. Because it's God's promise to his people. And here's an example of a promise. This is from 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, and the God of all grace, the God of all grace, and, and notice the word here, who called you. Remember, to be called is to live with hope. Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, and here's a promise, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's the future to which God has called us. Now, you might want to write this down, H-O-P-E, HOPE. And here's what that acronym um, can mean. Hang on, pain ends. Hang on, pain ends. And that's the promise in the Bible. God says, one day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The former things have passed away. Jesus Christ will make all things new. And that reality gives us what, church? Incredible hope. Now, I just want to turn a corner here and answer this last question. What difference does it make when we really have a heart full of hope? And, and here's the first difference that it makes. Um, the hope of our calling leads to gratitude and praise. Uh, of all the people on the planet, we should be filled with gratitude and praise because we have hope. Now, look at this verse. This is about who we are as the church. We talked last week about our identity. But you, Christian church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, notice this, belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who we are. We've been called out of darkness into God's incredible light. Now, how many of you, when you were a kid, were afraid of the dark? How many of you are still a little afraid of the dark? Um, you know, I remember when I was a firefighter, we would do these search and rescue drills, and it would be pitch black. You couldn't see anything. And that can be so disorienting. And I was thinking this week, the scripture says that when you're separate from Christ, you're walking in spiritual darkness. I mean, you can't really see who you are. You can't see where you are. You can't see where you need to go. You can't see how to get there. And that's why Paul says this, I pray, believer, that God will open the eyes of your heart, that he would flood your heart with light so that you can see the hope to which you have been called. Now, why is that? Because apart from Christ, we really are hopeless. Apart from Christ, there is reason for discouragement and depression and despair because we can't save ourselves. In fact, the word despair means this, to be without a way. No way out of the situation. No way to find freedom. No way to find forgiveness. No way to let go of the past. No way to, to drop this burden of guilt. And Jesus comes along and says, way. I am the what? I am the way, the truth, the life. I'm the way to, to freedom. I'm the way to forgiveness. I am the way back home to God. And that was his mission, wasn't it? To make a way to reconcile us to the Father. And so he lives the life we couldn't live, the perfect life. And then he allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And on the cross, God is willing to place our sin on Jesus to punish him instead of us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a new life. And when you trust Jesus, when you say, you know, I get it, Lord. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you died for me to pay for my sins. I'm going to follow you. You have now stepped from darkness to what? To light. And Jesus said this in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. 
Christian, you have the light of life living in you. And because of that, you can live with hope. And so when we get together on Sunday morning, what are we celebrating? That we've come out of the darkness into God's marvelous light. We should be so grateful as we praise God every week because we have hope. Now here's another result of having a heart filled with hope. The hope of our calling gives us an opportunity to tell others about Jesus, the one who's given us hope. There was a, a Peanuts cartoon one time where Lucy's talking to Charlie Brown, and she says, Charlie Brown, I should have been an evangelist. And Charlie Brown says, really, why? And, and she says, well, there's this, there's this boy in my class, he sits in the front row, and I convinced him that my religion is better than his religion. And Charlie Brown says, well, how did you do that? And Lucy says, I hit him over the head with my lunchbox. That's not how God wants us to share our hope. Take a look at this verse. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But don't do it by hitting somebody over the head with a lunchbox. Do this with what? With gentleness and respect. Church, we have this incredible privilege and responsibility to share our hope with others. And, and I'm really encouraged because just in the last few weeks, we've had, um, I think it's been every single Sunday during our worship service, somebody has, has said, I want to follow Jesus. And they've stepped across that, that line of faith, and now they have hope. And that's evidence that God is working here in our church family. And that's something we can be so thankful for. Well, lastly, let me tell you this about the hope of our calling. It makes us responsible to help people in practical ways in order to bring hope to their lives. We have to share our hope in practical ways to bring hope to the lives of other people. This is a quote from a book called The Hole in Our Gospel. And the first time I read this, I just stopped and I underlined it. It says this, Sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty, suffering, and injustice when he could do something about it. Well, why don't you ask him? Because I'm afraid he would ask me the same question. See, it isn't just that God could do something about the needs in our world. He's given us the ability to do something about the needs in our world. And I'm so encouraged, church, because I see in our church family this heart of compassion. I was talking with a family last night, and they asked me this, Pastor Dudley, as a family, what can we do to continue helping the people in the Bahamas? There's this, this desire to help people in practical ways. I was thinking, what could be more practical than pantalones? Right? I mean, that is a practical way to help people, and that's what we need to do, to share our hope with others so that they can be pointed to the source of hope as we meet their needs. Listen, one, one final thought this morning. As I was working on the message, I discovered something really intriguing about the word hope in the New Testament. I found that the word hope is only used one time before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. But after Jesus rises from the dead, the word hope is used 70 times. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure out what's going on. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us what? Hope. In fact, it says in 1 Peter that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because think about this. If Jesus conquered death, there's nothing he can't conquer. If Jesus could keep the promise to come back to life, there is no promise that he cannot keep. And church, this is so important. Before the resurrection, there was a cross. 
What does that mean for us? Well, on the darkest day of your life, there can be hope because of Jesus, because his victory can become your victory. You know, we said earlier that the word despair means to be without a way. In fact, despair shouts, there is no way. And Jesus whispers, way. And I want you to think about this. How would you complete this statement? God, today, I need you to show me the way to. How would you complete that? God, today, right now, I need you to show me the way to, to deal with this anxiety because it's crippling me. God, I need you to show me the way to forgive this person who's hurt me because I don't want to be a bitter person. God, I need you to show me the way to, to talk to my family about, about you. God, I need you to show me the way to live with hope. 